Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. Today, we're talking to Brandon Flirty on how a seven-figure earner sells. So excited for you to listen to this episode. I, uh, I've gotten to know Brandon over the last uh, year or so, uh, decently, and and just love what he's doing. And and <laughs> the guy just slays. Like he's very very good at what he does. And um, before we get to that, if you're checking out Blissful Prospecting for the first time, thanks for spending time with me. My name's Jason. You can call me JBay. I believe that outbound is a game of odds, and in order to get better results, we must make better decisions about how we decide to communicate with prospects in our cold outreach. So how we decide to email them, how we decide to call them, message them on LinkedIn, the videos that we send them, et cetera. And I'm on a mission to help reps and sales teams turn complete strangers into paying customers. So Brandon, if you haven't heard of him, he is a rep at Live Person. And in the last three years, he has earned seven figures in each of those years. That's right. That's six zeros. He's earned seven figures in a year, three years in a row, selling. You let that sink in for a little bit. I don't, I don't know very many people. He's one of two other people that I've ever met in my entire life. Not that run businesses, because I've, I've met several of those types of folks, but people that sell a rep, a quota-carrying rep making seven figures. Pretty impressive. And the thing that I notice about Brandon is, and what I notice about most of these folks, honestly, is that... They're obviously very good at what they do, but they're very, very good at the basics. And one of the things that they all make sure to take care of and nurture is both their mindset and just their body, like their physical body. And what Brandon and I are going to dig into is sort of his background, how he came to do what he's doing right now, his personal operating system, you know, he calls it. So he was a DJ, an aspiring professional soccer player. Really cool stuff. He talks about the training mindset that he took from sports into what he's doing now. He also talks about what it's like to sell as an introvert, which I relate with a lot. And um, if you don't know me that well and you're listening to this, you, you might not know that I'm an introvert. Uh, even though I like to do podcasts and talk to people and have videos, and I, I love speaking on stage and training big groups of people, um, I get more energized by hanging out with myself. <laughs> That's right. Spending time with myself. That's how I re-energize. Brandon is very much the same. And he talks about how he's dealt with his being introvert and how he's really used as a superpower. He's talked about imposter syndrome that he's had. We run through his morning routine. And he really like talks about really unconventional ways of thinking about your productivity and time management as well. So today you're going to learn how a seven-figure earner sells. Let's get to it. So... We were just before we hit record talking about the kind of factory, you know, mindset around the work style. Do you remember, was there a time or a moment in time or a series of moments where you first thought about how you actually are doing the work, if that makes sense? Or have you maybe always been like that? I don't know. Did you ever kind of step back and be like, well, you know, actually how we're taught to do this thing, sales is, why is it that way? Was there a moment like that that, that happened? I I think I've always been curious why 
sales teams have operated the way they have because yeah. I come I come from a an athletic background and I know it's cliche to talk you know have this analogy between sports and sales but you know as an aspiring professional soccer player early in my career when I was in Europe you had a coach for everything you had somebody looking after your nutrition planning your meals you had a mindset coach, you had a strength and conditioning coach helping with your flexibility, preventing injury. Then you had your main head coach, right? Talking about technique and tactics, um, an assistant coach running the, the training sessions, even somebody helping you in front of media, right? How to conduct yourself um, in, in front of an interview. And then if you were, you know, really successful, obviously you had an agent we have none of that in sales. And in, in essence, you have to be that person for yourself. Um, there's some good things to pull from that. It, it helps you develop an interesting skill set. It helps you to develop resiliency. Mm -hmm. But I've always scratched my head of like, hey, you know, world-class sports teams are pretty damn good, right? They're entertaining. They are successful. They can win championship after championship, their players uh, go on to, to achieve really big things. Um, why don't we operate in a similar way in sales? It's, it's always boggled my mind. So yeah, I've always sort of had this curiosity of like, there's, there's more to operating than just learning the next sales framework du jour and following this, you know, archaic, way of operating, uh, which to me just encourages this, this idea of constantly hustling. Yeah. Um, and you have to do it month after month, quarter after quarter, year after year. And the only way to succeed is like, just put in more effort and you're encouraged to just work harder. That's sort of the mantra from, from the coaches um, versus, you know, in every other, you know, high-end craft like sports or even art or science it's not not really the way it it works uh so i think there's there's time now um we're ready for a shift from that legacy factory mindset butts and seat and you gotta be working monday through friday to exploring new ways of of creating freedom for ourselves. And when you create that freedom, as I've sort of found for myself, you can actually be more successful in sales. So you said, I didn't know this about you, you wanted to become a professional soccer player? Yeah, so I left college early. Um, I had a chance to train with a first division club in Eastern Europe and Romania. And uh, unfortunately I ran into some injury issues. So it didn't quite work out for me. I didn't get the, I didn't win the contract um, my, my year and a half over there, but um, it was one of the most amazing experiences in my life. So, okay. You also, if I remember correctly, DJ too. Yeah. Um, okay. So after my soccer career, um, I, I didn't sign the contract. So I maintained my college eligibility that allowed me to come back, go back to school and then, um, where I finished uh, going to schools in, in Long Island, New York. And I knew I wasn't going to be a professional player. So I actually started working at a 
uh, it was a soccer youth training company. Um, and we focused on training players all over Long Island, usually, you know, between the ages of five and 12, we came up with a, like a really cool training system. We were all former collegiate or professional players. Uh, so the kids loved us and, uh, it gave me actually my first lesson, uh, which is how to sell. Um, I wasn't actively in a sales role, but we were building this startup and, what we were doing was constantly selling, constantly selling to teams to hire us to train. I was sort of selling one-on-one uh, -on -one and small group training packages. We wanted to franchise the, the company one day. So uh, we had to you know, sell to trainers to come on and work with us and not go to do something else. So we were constantly selling. And, and my lesson was, you know, the best way to sell is to not sell, just sort of be authentic, be a good human, be sort of passionate about what you do and, yeah. and let, let everything speak for themselves. So, yeah, the reason I asked you that is that what kind of sticks out to me about you is that you are interested in a lot of other stuff. It sounds like outside of sales yeah. and in your interest in those things have helped you become yeah. a better seller. And you know, I will have probably said this in the intro to this episode for the people listening, but um, I mean, you've been very successful, like top 1% of the 1% of people in sales, you know, that have had the type of success that you've had. Um, what role do you feel like, like getting to there? It's really, you know, I think like we could look at that now and be like, oh yeah, like Brandon just fucking kills it. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. But I'm sure there was, you know, quite an extensive journey and I, yeah. if we kind of uh, peel back, you know, kind of the layers of the onion, is there anything that like, when you look back at your career so far, is there anything that, or I guess what things have you taken from outside of sales that you have found to really help with yeah. the actual selling? So things outside of the scripts and the tactics and the methodologies and that sort of stuff, what have you taken outside of sales and, and kind of applied to your sales role in your sales career? Yeah. So, so getting back to the, like the whole DJ and I realized I never really answered that. Um, and it, it actually ties into this question you just asked. Uh, so after the, the soccer thing, um, one thing about me is I get bored. I get bored. I think it's, it's a common entrepreneurial trait after about four or five years. Um, we see it in sales too, you know, grass starts to look greener on the other side and you want to try new things. So I was a young 20 something, um, you know, working at this first company, we we're trying to build this interesting new soccer training startup. Um, but in that time, I started getting interested in learning how to DJ. Um, so I started teaching myself to DJ, started taking courses. And um, before I knew it, I was able to sort of set up a side business DJing and I was able to book myself gigs and I was DJing in New York city. The company was based out in long Island. I was living in Queens. If anybody knows the geography of New York city. Um, so I was really starting to spread myself thin and I was really getting more and more into DJing. So I actually started pursuing that. And, um, and then I left the soccer company. Um, and ironically the company where I was learning to DJ scratch DJ Academy was hiring and they were hiring an account manager. 
And um, I didn't have the skills really to be a salesperson, but um, I'd I'd done a few gigs, um, ironically, for Scratch because Scratch was, you know, started by uh, Jam Master J, rest in peace, of of, uh, Run DMC. Um, But the company was built to be not just a, a DJ academy, but also sort of this music marketing company where you could hire DJ talent maybe to spin uh, in a store like Bloomingdale's or Nordstrom's, and it would sort of bring a new energy and vibe to it. So I actually did a couple gigs for Scratch. Um, so they, they knew me, and then I, I knew that they were hiring for this account manager, and I was like, what does that mean? And, and so anyways, I got the, got the job and it was my job to sell these music marketing initiatives to some of these large brands, uh, like crunch fitness, Gucci and, and some other retail brands. And, um, yeah, that was really my first dedicated step into sales. So, so that was sort of like the parlay into these other interests that I had in my life that actually landed me a sales role. And, and the interesting thing was I took sales lessons from the soccer world. So being like a disciplined athlete, training, you know, like having the right mindset. I've taken some of that with me in sales. I've taken the idea of showing up in front of a crowd that you don't know, and you have to keep the dance floor moving um, and keep people happy. That actually allowed me to read a room. And, and start to interact with people in, in, in sort of a, a non-traditional way. It's like kind of communicating with them through music. And I think there, there are similar things that we can take away in sales of like how you communicate, how you use body language, how you um, even um, you know, set yourself up to get people to, to sort of be attracted to you and, and your product without actively like pushing and nagging people to do it. So I actually attribute some of that skill uh, set from, from DJing. And, and so, yeah, these things have made me, you know, soccer took me across the world, um, gave me some interesting insights. I was able to learn a new language. These are things I can talk about today um, that, that just overall make me more interesting and when i'm sitting in front of you know a fortune 10 level ceo um i don't have to like shirk and be scared to talk to them i can talk about some interesting things because i've done interesting things in 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 my life god i think that's a really big takeaway right there is looking for things we talked about this before we hit record too your identity outside of what you do for work yeah you yeah. know, and that's something I've really been struggling with lately is I've always just been, you know, since 2013, I've sort of been doing my own thing in one thing or an, uh, in one way or another, you know, and it's yeah. always been hustle, 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 grind, 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 because it's usually starting businesses and them failing. <laughs> it's mostly what it's been. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, really thinking about that is interesting because, you, I mean, you're totally right when you when you actually do like just get experience doing other stuff, whether that's traveling yeah. or just hobbies or whatever. Um, the, it, it almost gives you a fresh take and a different lens to look at what you do in sales, you know? Yes. 
is there, yeah. is there anything when you look back at your first sales position, what, what did you struggle with? What was the hardest part for you? Oh, geez. Um, struggling with a lot of things. I think one of the biggest things is, you know, I think we've talked about this in the past too. We can relate as being introverts. Um, yeah. So the, the, the big thing for me was, I felt like I needed to be somebody else than my authentic self, which was sort of reserved and introverted and quiet. Um, you know, back in the, the early 2000s, mid 2000s, when I was in this first sales role, it was especially true. Like I thought you won relationships, you built relationships through taking your clients out to dinner and um, being this extroverted person they they had to fall in love with you um and and that's how business is won it's 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 just wheeling and dealing and over time i've learned you know i i found my happy place in strategic selling um because i was able to harness my introversion more as a sales superpower because that allowed me to go deeper on trying to solve a problem uh, for these really large companies. But at first I really struggled with it. It was, it was painful being, um, in social settings and, and trying to keep a conversation going and, 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 uh, come up with interesting things to, to talk about. Um, now, you know, I, I used stories of, of being a DJ and a soccer player in, in Europe. Um, but for some reason I struggled back then to, to really bring that to the fold. I uh, I relate with you so much on that. The I was just recording a podcast with another gentleman yesterday, and we kind of talked about because we're we're both introverts too. And I mean, even the thought now of going to a networking event with a hundred people in a room where I don't know anyone is like it's still super uncomfortable for me. I I, I don't want to go yeah. do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that if you're comfortable sharing, I'd love to dig into. You said you felt like you had to be someone else. Did you have to mm -hmm. do any personal work? in your personal life on that? Did, did that also trickle over into your personal life and was something that affected you professionally? Were those, were there any patterns there? Yeah, for sure. I mean, looking back, I can see that, you know, it was a challenge for me too, in a, in a team setting, when I was a soccer player, I was sort of like, felt like an outcast. I was like kind of the weird, quiet guy in the, in the locker room and yeah. uh, didn't really talk much. So yeah, it, it definitely affected me personally. I always thought like I was, you know, something wrong with me. Like you know, this social anxiety was something I had to fix. Um, and now just again, over time and experience, I've learned to probably put myself closer to being an ambivert. Um, I'm, I'm much yeah. more comfortable with people because I think I've unlocked who I am personally. And I'm just when I'm comfortable personally, I can be more comfortable around others. I still get energized by my alone time and, and, and needing quiet space. I'll get energy there. I'm not going to pull energy by being in a, a room of a hundred people and, and feeding off of that energy per se, like an extrovert word would, but I can, I am definitely much more comfortable in my personal life, being around people and holding my own, um, having a deeper conversation versus, um, you know, where I was in the past for sure. So correct me if I'm wrong. It sounds like the skill set was always there to do that. It was just more of the mindset. 
around yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember, because you said something earlier about, oh, you know, selling to a Fortune 10, you know, C-level executive and just being able to kind of talk to them. Do you remember the first time um, just in your current role or, or any other where you had to speak to an executive like that? And can you kind of just like, what was the self-talk like? What was what was going through your head? Yeah, um, like that reference of a Fortune 10 CEO was, was a real scenario. So um, I unexpectedly got put in a room with Steve Nelson. And at the time he was the CEO of United Healthcare, a fortune seven brand. Um, so he, he had just, no big deal. yeah, no big deal. Um, and you know, luckily, obviously we had a few of us from, from our company. Uh, there were, there were others in the room, but he was not planning on being in that room, but the meeting was actually going so well that the CEO who, who we were meeting with and we had had a prior relationship with um, asked Steve to, to come into the room. And it, it went really well. I actually feel in some ways more comfortable uh, talking with the high level executives because they know how to think big and, and think on a transformational level. And I really, I really enjoy that. That's the fun part. I don't, it's almost harder to talk at the director level when it's like, you got to bring it down a notch and you, you need to almost talk on a transactional level, which is like me, me, me. I have a very specific problem. I'm not trying to solve like a big problem that gets really exciting to talk about. I just have this really one little small issue. Um, I'm not really primed to think big enough. So I actually like being in a room of big thinkers. And um, at the time, he had just written an article about why can't healthcare be as personalized as your music playlist? And um, I really like honed in on that. And, and we talked about, because you know, I work for Live Person, we're a leader in conversational AI. You can imagine in healthcare, um, the, the ability to ask questions about your medication or better connect with your provider or your, your doctor. Um, and you can sort of manage your health in a more proactive way. When you have questions, you just fire it off through a message and that can be an automated message, or it could be with an expert who can handle, uh, your, your question, like that's personalizing healthcare, just like, your, your, your music playlist. So we got into actually, it it ended up being a fantastic meeting fast forward to 2021. That meeting was in 2018. Um, we, we, we landed the deal with United healthcare and that, uh, was, you know, potentially they could be our, our largest customer one day. Wow. That's crazy. What is the, and the reason why I'm asking this is a one thing in the work that I come across is there's a lot of imposter syndrome that reps feel around i'm a sales rep and i'm about to talk to a person a ceo of a company like that and it comes out when they're prospecting there's just not a lot of conviction not a lot of belief there's a lot of well why would they want to talk to me what do i have to offer have you ever dealt with that before or yeah what what kind of advice do you have for people that are kind of in that position because it sounds like now you feel you feel really good you yeah. know, in those, in those opportunities, like, Hey, I'm talking to my people kind of thing. 
can you take us back to a time where it maybe wasn't like that for you? And how, how do you, how did you kind of work through that? Yeah, I actually worked with a dedicated coach a few years back, specifically on imposter syndrome. Okay. And even though I was having success, I still didn't feel confident. Um, so the first thing that, that we recognized um, and we talked about that put me at ease was imposter syndrome is actually a healthy sign. It's actually a healthy sign of people who are elevating their careers. It's, it's more common in people who get promoted or people who are having success um, than, than those who um, are, are not achieving the same level of success. So it's actually a healthy sign. So I think that's the first thing. Anybody experiencing imposter syndrome, um, you know, don't look at it actually as a bad thing. Actually look at it as a healthy sign um, because we, we all face it. And it's just when something you're, you're facing is, is new and it looks challenging, uh, it's, it's going to be a common reaction. Um, I think the second thing that we worked through that was really helpful was sort of a mind mapping exercise of kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier, like the, the concept of being an introvert in sales. For, for me, I had the mindset that that was a bad thing. But when I was able to turn it into looking at it more objectively, um, it actually became, we were able to pin it to being a superpower because again, in the case of somebody like a United Healthcare, because I like to think, because I'm introverted and because I'm quiet and I think we overthink as, as introverts, that's a good asset to have when you want to think strategically and big and, and tackle a problem like how do you personalize healthcare and make it just as easy as consuming a playlist um, that's hyper-personalized to you? Um, you need to be a, a strategic thinker. You need quiet time. You need to go and do deep work. So just doing that mapping exercise, um, that just allowed me to step back and kind of look at myself with a little more self-compassion and, and realize, whoa, like those are like almost lies. I was telling myself for so long and I need to just sort of do the inverse and, and, and look at what I thought was a weakness to now painfully, glarefully looking at it like, whoa, no, actually this is not something that's holding me back. This is actually something I should double down on and use it as, as a superpower. And we all have those. We all have those areas that we think are weakness, weaknesses that we could turn into our, our superpowers. It just takes the time to sort of reflect on it and look at it more objectively versus looking at them emotionally. So did you, were you journaling a lot around this stuff? Were you just kind of collecting your thoughts? And, and again, the reason why I'll give you another example, just in our outbound squad program today, this guy was asking about, you know, how to reach out to this person on LinkedIn and all this other stuff. And I was like, you know, we can talk about all the tactics and things like that, but you see someone that is a really good fit for you to help. You have a lot of information on this person they posted something, an article that you've read, and they have some commentary on it. I was like, you need to show this person that you want to talk to them. 
not that you want to sell to them, but that you want to start right. a conversation with them. And I want you to yeah. bring that mentality of like, I'm going to make it so obvious that I want to talk to you and I have something valuable to share with you. I was like, let that mindset drive everything else. And like, yes. let that drive the conviction. And like, that's the tactics will take care of themselves as long as you're not doing something really stupid. You know, at that yes. point, I see so much of that, yeah. especially with outbound. But yeah, what's, what's, like, what did you do to kind of unpack this? Because I think a lot of people deal with this. How did, how did you unpack it more? Yeah, so writing and journaling was absolutely a critical part of becoming more reflective. Um, meditation as well, just, you know, being still um, also helps to find these, uh, these blocks um, that, that we we tend to accumulate over time in life um, that's preventing us. And, 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 and we inherently develop this inner chatter that's often more critical of ourselves versus positive. You know, um, I've heard a lot of, of people talk about this and I, I think it's very true. Um, we often perceive ourselves as less competent than those around us. So if we were to, if you were to interview like your friends and family, they would normally probably say, Hey, you know, Jason, Brandon, you know, he's a very calm, they're confident people, but ourselves, you know, we, we're, we're much harsher on, uh, and being critical of ourselves. So, um, I think that starts to become resolved through just quiet time and reflection and, you know, filling that with uh, meditation and writing, uh, reading, um, those are really healthy habits to develop because it forces you to get out of that really critical self-talk um, and, and start to rethink, um, you know, everything that you do uh, in, in a more constructive and positive way that just helps you to level up. And if you can build that into your day, that's the system I think we should all strive for. Um, if you have these moments of, of time, you can always look forward to, it's in the morning or the evenings. I actually like to sandwich my days because those are two areas that I can control. I can control yeah. the way I start my day. I can control the way I end my day. What I can't control necessarily is what happens in the, the chaos of the middle of the day of, you know, a prospect reaching out or client reaching out or teammates reaching out. I've got to be a bit more reactive, but if I can be in control of how I start and end, it's, it's just a way of eliminating that monkey mind, uh, as, as we, we've probably heard, or if, if we let our minds go, it turns into this wild monkey. So we need to tame the monkey and you can't do that unless you sort of have a system in place with positive habits and routines to calm the monkey down. Let's talk about those. Cause I know you're really big on routines and habits yeah. and that sort of stuff. What does, tell us some of what some, what some of those habits are like, what does uh, what does the routine look like for you? What's the, what's the morning routine look like? That might be a good place to start. Yeah. Uh, so I really, really got into like reading, um, you know, atomic habits and um, a, a book by Craig Ballantine called, perfect day uh yeah the perfect perfect day routine um 
And this really started uh, when the pandemic hit and um, everybody's life obviously got turned upside down. But in strategic sales, I was on a plane just about every week. Um, it would be common for me to jump on a plane, fly across the country for a one hour meeting, turn around and come back. Um, luckily, I think that is going to go away, hopefully forever. Um, and so when my days were consistent, when I could go to bed at the same time, I could wake up at the same time, I could better manage my diet, I could really like focus on quality sleep. It actually took me back to the days when I was an aspiring soccer player in Europe. Um, so those were the same types of habits that I was forming. And it was sort of the same feeling of like, oh, every day I feel like I'm getting better and better and better as a player. And I wanted to, do, to sort of bring that same type of energy into my day as a seller. And so I started to migrate. I was just started tracking this stuff. I set up a Google sheet and I started tracking my sleep. I wanted to sit, you know, look at my sleep as a, a strong foundation. And, and what I started to realize is that when my sleep debt is less than three hours, um, I perform really well. I have a lot of energy that I can give throughout the day. I'm more present in meetings. And so I just started tracking these things. Um, and so the, is that the amount of hours you need to sleep in a week compared to, yeah. How much, how much do you, how much do you need to sleep? Yeah. So, um, adults, I think what 18 to 64 need between seven and nine hours of sleep. Yeah. And it, it is a highly personalized thing. Yeah. What's it for um, you? um, so it, 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 depends on multiple factors. So, uh, like I wear a whoop for, for instance, um, okay. and a whoop is just so basically a wearable that is on 24 seven. It's measuring things like my resting heart rate, um, you know, how much exercise, right. I'm doing. Uh, so if I say do a hard workout, uh, today, um, that might mean I need a little bit more sleep than if I were to just be, you know, not doing anything and laying on the couch after this podcast episode. So it, it's going to take into to consideration, Hey, um, how much strain did you put on your body, um, that day? How much sort of baseline sleep do you, do you need? And it even understands like when you go to sleep and when you wake up, you know, the, the more consistent that you, you can be, the, the more your body craves that. So basically it's just a factor of how much sleep you need for that particular day and how much sleep you're actually giving it based off of all these factors. And so I average about seven hours. Again, it, it doesn't really mean anything unless you're, you're, you're sort of tracking all these variables. So um, I just, I wanted to understand like what produces peak performance for me. And uh, a part of my, my morning routine was like, okay, I'm going to give myself time in the morning before I do anything. My old, the old way of operating was I would just open up the laptop and go right into reactive mode. I would look at slacks. I would uh, look at emails and I would stay in my, like my inbox before I know it, it's lunchtime. Right. And I've completely given my time to, to other people. 
So what I started doing was the first thing I do is I try to get someone on my face if it's not too early. And I just do five minutes of simple, deep breathing, meditating. Um, so once I'm calm, then I, um, I do a little bit of reading. I read the daily Stoic, um, big on Stoic philosophy. Um, it takes less than 90 seconds to read uh, the, the passage for, for that day. And then I, I get into reading. I try to systemize just reading. I, I wanted to read more books. And I was really bad at reading books. So I just pick up a book and, and, and read for about 15 minutes. And then once I'm reading, like reading, I'm like, ooh, I'm craving more. So then I'll, I'll listen to something, um, whether it's a podcast or I've really gotten into Knowable. Uh, Knowable is a really cool app to just get some digestible uh, learnings. And then, um, then I get into writing. Um, so I was like, I was doing this usually in a, in a different order, but what I've, I've found works for me is like this logical flow of breathing into reading, into listening, into writing um, versus trying to write. And what I would write then would get my brain too activated. And I'd be thinking about that while I'm trying to read and it just didn't make sense. So then I, I write, I, I just write something that I'm grateful for, for the day, sort of just get myself my bearings for the day. Um, and then I track this stuff in a, in, in a spreadsheet. Like I was saying, I, I track my sleep data. I just try to look at like, what's my, my sleep debt look like? What's my energy potential for the day? And, um, and then I, um, I just, you know, make the final tweaks on sort of my day. Uh, it's, it's already been planned out as gets into what I do at the end of the day, which is planned tomorrow. So my day for today is usually already planned out for me. My calendar's already blocked, but I'll make a few little tweaks um, and, and just make sure I'm, I'm ready today. And then once I do that, I'm ready to, to do my hardest task. Um, it's usually already prioritized. I know exactly what I need to do because it's, it's been planned out. My schedule, my calendar's time blocked um, and I'm ready to do that most important thing. And then that most important thing should be a high leverage, high value task. It could be building a strategic proposal. It could be building, investing towards my future self, writing a book, whatever it is. It needs to move the rock towards something big uh, in my life. And then once that's done, like I feel like I am extremely accomplished. I'm ready to go into meetings. And by this time, it's you know, 9, 30, 10 o'clock in the morning. Um, now I can be a bit more flexible through my day. I started with this sort of this discipline of going through this routine, but now I'm sort of like warmed up and ready to go. And now I can kind of perform, put forth like really good effort. And I have found like my sweet spot for me in strategic sales is about four hours of meetings and then four hours of, of deep work. If that's somebody else, right? If I were an SDR, maybe I need more meetings or if I'm a, um, a younger AE just starting out in my career, maybe I need more meetings to, to be successful. But as a, an experienced strate strategic seller, I have found like my sweet spot is no more than four meetings um, or excuse me, four hours of meetings and then four hours of, of deep work. And I need that time for deep work to, to go deep on my prospects, you know, find those uh, opportunities, those problems that need to be fixed. 
And then I just end my day with a simple daily review routine. How did I perform for the day? Um, uh, and then plan out tomorrow, time block my calendar and so forth. And that's sort of this flywheel that just keeps me moving forward. It keeps me focused. It keeps, it gives me a place that I know I can trust. Um, I can always, I don't have to think too much about each day and what I need to do. I'm not in chaos. I know I have these mechanisms that will help keep everything moving forward towards the big things that I want to accomplish in life. So what are, um, God, there's so many areas I want to go with this. So how long does your morning routine take? Yeah. If, if for me, it's between uh, an hour and 90 minutes. Okay. So yeah. 60, 90 minutes. All right. And then, um, I want to ask you about, cause you said four hours of meetings and four hours of deep work. How yeah. do you control your schedule? And what I mean by that question is how do you, how do you set boundaries with clients with internal stuff with your boss or whoever yeah. you know what i mean um how do you protect your time yeah so the first way to protect yeah first way i protected my time was i delivered results <laughs> it wasn't the case right if i were just starting out um now at live person i'd probably have a slightly different approach would i have a a 90 minute morning routine no i'd probably have a 25 minute routine to sort of just again ground myself but then I would want to pack more of the middle of the day for high impact client facing uh, work or maybe internal facing work. So I benefit from the last few years of being hyper successful and delivering results. Results gives me autonomy. And once I have autonomy, now I want to protect my schedule. I want to protect my time. Um, so the way I do that now, because I know people either internal folks know to, to leave me alone and like, Hey, we don't need to stand on his shoulder, look over his shoulder. Um, he, he's going to do the right thing because he's delivered strong results for us. Um, for customers, again, I'm in a position of strategic sales. So for me, it's high quality relationships. It's not quantity. Um, so managing that is, is, is much easier for me to do. Um, and I, I, I live by this rule, right? I don't time block my week ahead of time. I actually, I have a few things on there that can't, can't be disrupted, but I will give right until the end of today for people to get on my calendar tomorrow. Um, and so I, like I said, the last thing I do today is plan out tomorrow. And a part of that, I call it a daily review routine. Part of that daily review routine is time blocking tomorrow. And if no new meetings have been set, I'm going to block off that time, right. For the things that I want to work on. Um, and, and so that seems to be a good system for where I am in my career. Again, if, if I were to be a different type of seller, a different stage in my career, it would be slightly tweaked. But for what I'm trying to build and, and, and go in, in my life, it works really, really well for me. So do you have certain blocks on your calendar that you keep open then for people to schedule? And then how do you, how do you kind of limit maybe... 
uh, how do you prevent a six hour, seven hour day of meetings from happening? Yeah. So like I said, I have a few chunks that are consistently there every workday. So my daily start routine, the first 90 minutes, I, I sort of have that blocked off. I have my daily review at the end of the day, and then I'll have things that will already be on the, the docket for client meetings and so forth. So um, again, I will give right anybody up until the end of today to get on tomorrow's calendar, but let's say my daily review is at 5.30. Um, I'm going to block off tomorrow and I'm not going to, I'm going to block off every minute of that day. And yeah. what I've learned to do is I manage actually my day by energy, not just by time. Yeah. And this kind of goes back to the tracking process that, that I really got into besides getting really good data from uh, my wearable. I get data from an app called rise and Rise is really good about two things. One, tracking your sleep debt and giving you a really good visualization of it. Like, hey, your, your sleep debt is two and a half hours. And the second thing it does really well is it helps you to align to your natural circadian rhythm. So yeah. we are all, we all have a different chronotype. Chronotypes basically like how you sleep um, mostly and how you prefer to sleep and, and, and how you prefer to, um, when you have natural energy peaks and dips. So you could be an early bird. Um, you can be somewhere in the middle or you can be, uh, like a, a night owl. Um, I'm a third bird, meaning I'm somewhere in the middle. I don't like to get up at the crack of dawn. Um, I also don't like staying up all night. So I'm, I'm somewhere in the middle. And so I really try to harness that. And, you know, when I have a peak, that's when I'm doing my highly focused, concentrated strategic work. When I take a dip, that's when I go into my inbox and I'm responding to emails, I'm responding to Slack. Um, and then when I get an energy uh, rebound again, that's maybe when I start getting back into some of the, the creative work. Um, and so I'm, I've really done a good job of planning my meetings around that when I'm available, when my Calendly offers up meeting opportunities. Um, I want those to sort of be peak energy so I can give my all. And then like when I'm updating my CRM and, and doing my email, um, getting to inbox zero, I'm doing that at, at my energy dip. Um, that I think when we can align our activity with our natural circadian rhythm, we're not too sleep deprived. Those are like two really easy things that everybody can implement. And then you balance that with sandwiching your day with a, a, a warm up routine, a daily start routine, and a daily re review routine, and time blocking your calendar. Um, I can tell you doing that accelerated sales results for me as a strategic seller. It took me two years hustling around the clock, being on a plane every week to get to closing $11 million in ARR, annual recurring revenue. So essentially two years to build an $11 million a year business to in 10 months operating in this new way, this anti-hustling way and being focused on like a personal operating system that prioritizes my health in 10 months, I was able to close 14.1 million in ARR. Um, so 
the proof to me in the pudding was, wow, actually looking at less of the traditional sales metrics like sales activity and looking at more of my health data was a better leading indicator um, and managing my energy versus my time and being really strategic about what I say yes to and what I say no to, as well as looking at things like my overall satisfaction, like, am I happy of like how I performed today and this day went, I would even measure my, my um, sort of my satisfaction, my mood in this tracker that started to give me more of a holistic view of if I'm thriving or not. And, and then when I had a really high thrive score, as I call it, I would really try to understand, well, what am I doing that gives me this really high thrive score? Well, let's repeat more of that. And when I repeated more of that, I was just naturally happier. I was naturally healthier because I had, I'm not sleep deprived. Um, that leads to uh, just being happier, um, better relationships, better uh, meetings, more impactful meetings. And it just sort of, again, became this flywheel that helped me to consistently get these results faster. Oh, man, I love that. I got one more question for you before we take off. What, uh, like, what advice, knowing what you know now, what, what advice would you give yourself as a first-time seller? So what I would say is if I were just starting out, go ahead and say yes to, to things that come your way. Cause you have to learn, you actually want to get failing out of the way early. And the only way to do that is you just have to have good conversations with people. Have, don't be afraid to wait for perfection, be prepared, just go ahead and have good business conversations today. Then as you start to get success then you want to be de more deliberate about what you say yes and no to. It, it's going to be actually the no's that become more impactful than, than the yeses. You want to be protective of your time and your energy. Um, I think the second thing I would say is we're only good sellers when we're good human beings. So don't over-index on the sales stuff, right? Um, because you can get caught in the trap of, um, especially the incentives that we get in sales, you can burn out very quickly um, and you can constantly get caught in the trap of hustling. And that's just going to lead to burnout. It's going to lead to chaos. It's going to lead to always thinking the grass is greener on the other side of, hey, I'm done with this place. It'll be better at another place. And I'll just go do it there. And then you go and you find it's the exact same way. And so until you fix like yourself as like a human and be the best human possible, um, you're not going to reach your full potential as a seller because ultimately at the end of the day, we are still humans connecting with another human to fix a problem. And, and that's where you want to optimize yourself. You want to optimize around that human connection. And when you're naturally a better human, you you'll, you'll, the outcome will be being a better seller. God, hundred percent. I, that's, that's what I focus on so much when I'm training too, is how do we, 
Like if you want to become better at cold calling, let's just become a better communicator. Let's get better at asking people questions in our personal life. Let's be uh, less afraid to engage people in public that we don't know and to ask yes. for things where there's a high likelihood that they'll say no. <laughs> yes. You know, try yeah. to use an expired coupon at the store, you know, get in the habit of like doing stuff like that. Um, yeah, exactly. Dude, this has been great. If you could um, just kind of rattle off, you mentioned a lot of tools and apps yeah. and stuff. Maybe what's the yeah. top three, top five list? And you're doing a lot of cool stuff too. Where can people go to connect with you? Yeah. So I actually offer this up to like, I have a whole recommended um, reading list. So books, um, all the tools that I use are around like health wearables and productivity tools. Um, so if, if people go to brandonfluharty.com um, and you subscribe to the newsletter, I'll, I share all that. I'm actually putting together, I've actually already put together and shared it with a small community. Um, we're getting really amazing feedback. So my, my whole thing is how to earn seven figures a year in SaaS sales. I'm on my third year um, earning over a million dollars a year selling SaaS for somebody else. And I've taken the, the, those learnings, I've taken the learnings of developing this personal operating system and I put it into my first ebook, uh, Seven Steps to Earning Seven Figures. And anybody who is subscribed to that will get access to, to that book uh, when it becomes released to the public uh, early next year. And um, all, all the members will, will be able to get it uh, for, for a discount. And I uh, unpack everything. I deconstruct all the tools I'm using, the personal operating system, the struggles I went through, how to develop the right mindset, how to look at your account list, go after the, the big, what I call diamond accounts, win the diamond accounts. And um, yeah, that, that'll be available to everybody who, who signs up on brandonfluority.com. That was a fun episode. I think my biggest, the biggest surprise for me actually was that he doesn't time block his week. I'm really big on time blocking my week. And I think that sometimes I shut off opportunities and, and uh, my, I protect my calendar maybe a little too much. <laughs> And don't leave uh, leave the day, or at least you know the next day, the next twenty four hours, or you know I don't allow for a lot of spontaneity throughout my work week at least. So I thought that was really inter uh, interesting. And then the managing his energy thing I thought was interesting too, and knowing when your energy level is going to be the highest. Those are the two big takeaways I had. But uh, thanks for checking out the podcast. I I haven't asked before you take off if you got value from today, which I'm assuming you did because you got to this point in the podcast, what would really mean a lot to me is to text this, email, whatever you do, LinkedIn DM, share this episode with one other person. So if there's another rep on your team, a friend that you have in sales, your sales leaders, whoever it might be, if you got value from this, send it over to someone else that you think might. The reason why I do this podcast, I don't get paid for it. I do get clients, of course, creates awareness. I know all that good stuff, but I don't get paid to do this. I really do it to help people exactly like you. So if you could help someone else, help themselves. I'd really appreciate that. It would mean a lot. All right. We'll see you next episode.